Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. This episode today I am calling Son of Podcast Shoutouts. Back episode number 75, I did a podcast where I think it was a list of 20 podcasts that I have found and that I enjoy and I thought you guys might enjoy. I have decided to go back and revisit that list and let you know which ones I'm still listening to and some new ones that I've discovered and some new ones that I'm just really started listening to. And I listen to podcasts probably for similar reasons to why you listen to them. One, it's a wonderful way to pass the time and, you know, here's some content on a topic that you're interested in. You know, you could turn on the radio and they could be talking about something you don't care anything about. So, you know, you can select a little area of interest or explore things that you didn't think you might be interested in. So, you know, it, it, in other words, podcasts can just be bubble gum for the mind, you know, just chewing gum for the mind. I hope that mine is uh, sometimes a little more than that, but I will admit that sometimes I listen to other podcasts for that very reason, just something to do, you know, just, you know, listen to it while I'm working on trying to fix the broken belt on my air compressor. Another in a long list of human-made devices that I have purchased at Lowe's or Home Depot, which have broken. <laughs> and, you know, this is never-ending. Uh, but anyway, it gives you, you know, you can listen to something you're interested in while you try to figure out how to get the dirt dauber nest out of the screw hole so that you can open, get the covers off the air compressor to discover the broken belt inside, which of course you have to order one somewhere. And anyway, you get the idea. It could be chewing gum for the mind, but it can also be extremely educational if the content you are listening to is answering some of your current questions. You know, especially if you're a newcomer to bluegrass, uh, I would suspect that a good binge listening to my podcast would probably, you know, shed some light on a lot of things that either you didn't know or you didn't even know you could know, you know. But if you've been playing for 30 years playing bluegrass, you know, it may be more like, yeah, yeah, he's right about that. Or, nah, I don't know if I would, I don't know if I agree with him on that. And so sometimes the learning experience, sometimes it's just, a, you know, riding along seeing what what I'm going to come up with next. Either way is fine. But I have uh, gone back to the list of podcasts, and I'm going to come back to that shortly. Before I get into that, I want to talk about why, why I even listen. Some of the podcasts on there are not, they're not closely related to bluegrass. First of all, there aren't that many bluegrass-oriented podcasts. So, I'm like everybody. I I have a wider variety of interests 
than just bluegrass. I think I said a couple episodes ago, sometimes I just can't sit here and talk about bluegrass all the time. Even though I, I probably could, sometimes I don't want to. Sometimes, you know, I'd like to pull a Tim Shelton and just, you know, talk about what I think about, um, I don't know, the MTV Awards or something. But I don't know anything about that stuff. Shelton's funny. Uh, I, he was on my list of podcasts that I listened to. And I still occasionally will download one of the Tim Shelton podcasts. But I'm, I'm not as religious of a listener as I was at one point. And it's, it's strictly because the various things he's interested in don't overlap enough with mine. When he's talking about bluegrass festivals and he's talking about gigging and being on the road and uh, putting bands together and recording and, you know, all those things I'm really interested in. But, you know, I'm just not interested in MMA fighting. I just don't care anything about it. I'm only interested enough to know what it is. Beyond that, I'm not at all. I just, so sometimes, you know, I'll just read the description and go, well, I'll probably skip this one. But then he'll turn around the next week and have one that's just like, this is, I'm really digging this one. So I'm not saying Tim should do anything different than what he does. Um, I'm just not listening as much as I was, possibly because I found a few new things that I'm scoping out. But here's something before I get into this list. And I, by the way, it's only going to be 10 podcasts this time instead of 20. Because I can't, uh, I can't sit here and talk for a solid hour <laughs> about one thing. So I was thinking of something else. Because one of the podcasts on the list of recommended podcasts that I'm going to get to in a few minutes, one of them, you might say, now, why? Why does Brad Laird listen to that? And I will explain why. And it brought up a topic in my mind that I've touched on before. But I want to revisit just a little bit. And that is, first first let me state it this way. Bluegrass music is a form of country music. I know that might, that might make your skin curl, skin crawl, if, if you're not into country these days. But you cannot deny, all you have to do is just do a little history, just read a, read a book once in a while. <laughs> or if, I, if we ever get around to some of these uh, bluegrass history episodes with, with Jackson, um, the, the bluegrass timeline stuff, it is clearly obvious that when Bill Monroe launched the Bluegrass Boys and when certainly when he uh, became a performer on the Grand Ole Opry, he was part of what was then known as country music. So his music, as yet undefined, certainly not fully crystallized, and not even referred to by the generic name of bluegrass, was 
a subset of a larger group of stylistic differences of music that was all lumped under what the common person called country music. The Grand Ole Opry certainly was a country music show. Still is, I guess. Although, honestly, I haven't listened to the Grand Ole Opry in quite a while. There's probably some not-so-country stuff on there from time to time. But anyway, it was. So, as bluegrass, as Bill Monroe's music began to crystallize and to uh, refine with the addition of Flat and Scruggs and with certainly Jimmy Martin and, you know, going through the various stages to where bluegrass became a thing that began to be imitated by the Stanley brothers, by Jim and Jesse, the Osborne brothers, and so on. And it became, you know, a sub-genre of country music. And so, you know, the, the knockoffs, the, the upstarts, the flattened scrugs, Stanley Brothers, you know, they were playing ball in that country music arena and they considered themselves to be part of country music. Now, so we're talking like 1940 and I, I, I sketched some of this out so that I could kind of portray in my mind just imagine a circle, a big, big circle that I call country music, and I've written 1940 over the top. Clearly, within that circle are little subsets. One is old-time music. I mean, the Grand Ole Opry started with an old-time fiddler just playing for hours on end. Old-time is was a part of the definition of country music. And you could practically say that the roster of the Grand Ole Opry represented the definition of country music. And it may still. Well, within that circle, you had old time, you had bluegrass, Bill Monroe, let's just say that, but Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys, Clearly a different style than old time. You had honky-tonk. And in that old time, you had like old time fiddling and banjo picking and stuff like that, like Uncle Dave Macon, that sort of thing. And you had old time like country ballad singing, you know, the, more like Jimmy Rogers, Roy Acuff, that type of thing. But you had your honky-tonk stuff like... A little bit later, Ernest Tubb, things like that. When the steel guitar and when the electric guitar came in and those groups formed up. And you had Western Swing a little bit in those early days. Certainly later it was, certainly Western Swing was lumped into the larger category of country music. Now, you also had folk, which is interlinked with old time and is interlinked with bluegrass. However, folk itself was not fully engulfed into the country music 
definition, let's say in the 1940s. Some of it clearly was. I mean, some of it, if you were an old-time fiddler, and, you know, somehow you, by hook or crook, you got on, on the Grand Ole Opry, like the Crook Brothers, then, yes, folk was part of country music. But if you looked at, you know, record sales and what radio stations were playing, there was a large chunk of what would be considered folk that didn't fall into that commercial category, you know. In other words, there were still folks playing music, but not in any way commercialized. And you had blues, which was clearly outside the circle, even though elements of the blues were being brought in to bluegrass and to honky-tonk and somewhat to folk and what little bit of that overlapped into the overall definition of country music. But basically, blues sat outside and influenced some of these things. Now, you move forward to the 1950s and the 60s, and you begin to see a split in country music. It's, it's becoming a little more amorphous. Your country music begins to mostly be filled up with honky-tonk, western swing, and the Nashville sound, the new Nashville sound a la Chet Atkins. You know, you've got your, your crooners and people like that doing the... Well, I'm not going to sit here and talk about the Nashville sound. But just picture you're in the 1950s and 60s. Country is beginning to divide a little bit. Bluegrass has still got one foot in there. Got Flatt and Scruggs on the Grand Ole Opry. By the late 60s, you got the Osborne brothers. You're getting Jim and Jesse, who clearly lived in both worlds. So did the Osborne brothers. You got Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. Still solidly, uh, maybe somewhat reluctantly by the powers that be in the country music industry, still clearly well-defined part of country music. Bluegrass was still a part of country music. It didn't Flatt and Scruggs put out an, an album just called Country Music? I mean, they called themselves Country Music because that's where the money was, you know. If you're not country, I mean, you know, if you're not country, you're something else. And, it, you know, it basically means that music, you know, centered around more or less Nashville and because that would, would have been the commercial center certainly in the 50s and 60s and getting into the 70s. But but folk, while it had its, its toe in the door and old time had its toe in the door of the country music tent, was sort of not getting what it wanted, I guess, and, and began to form its own little side bubble where folk and blues and some bluegrass formed what I call the folk bluegrass circle, separate and distinct with country music, though they just sat right next to each other, and there were people who crossed over and went both ways. Well, if you look at, look at like a program from the Newport Folk Festival, 
say, I don't know, pick a year, 1965. And you're going to find some people who clearly their careers are within the field of country music, but they're bluegrass. And then here's Joan Baez, you know, who is clearly not a country music singer, more folk, uh, clearly more folk, Bob Dylan, um, on the show notes page, I need to write a note to make sure I do this. I'm going to put a link to um, some resources for you uh, that have these folk festival um, schedules and things. Just PDFs of them up there that you can go look at. Pretty cool stuff. I'll, I'll put a link to that. And of course, in the 50s and 60s, you've got the electrification of country and you've got rock and roll, which I view as blues just taking an end run around country music and you know this explosion of rock and roll which was influenced by country music by bluegrass by everything pre-existing it wasn't just one thing hatched out of nothing i mean just just do a little reading and you know you're going to find people like elvis and carl perkins and people like that they were listening to the grand Ole opry you know Bob Dylan was a Bill Monroe fan. Jerry Garcia, you know, he like all this stuff, the the rock phenomenon that came and exploded and it leaked into country music. They wanted a piece of that action too because it was definitely hurting the country music um, you know, the the cash register. So you begin to see a lot of honky tonk and just a lot of music people started trying to take on some of the aspects of rock and roll and become more rock and roll. And that was true. I mean, now let's move into the 70s. Things get really weird in the 70s. Rock has exploded, has become huge, and it's still overlapping a little bit with country. And it's mostly, in my opinion, country artists just trying to remain relevant by becoming a little more rock-oriented. And frankly, that's when my interest in country music began to wane. But there's still overlap. Rock is overlapping everything. But I see the big division as the festivals started up. And festivals were not just bluegrass festivals. There were rock festivals. There were folk festivals. And there were old-time fiddlers conventions and those sort of outdoor gatherings, multi-day events the festival scene brought together folk, rock, old-time, bluegrass at various times. Sometimes it would be all one thing, sometimes it would be four things. But the festival movement picked up a lot of steam, certainly late 60s, all through the 70s, and on into the 80s. Whereas the commercial country stuff pretty much just booted bluegrass out i mean you know you were not going to get a bluegrass record played on a country music station bluegrass acts would not be you know stuck on country music package shows and that kind of thing there were rare exceptions um if you had a good track record at the grand Ole opry like the osborne brothers with rocky top yes you might be stuck on a stage you know right alongside conway twitty or something like that. But it it was slim pickings for bluegrass people. 
in the 70s unless you got into the festival movement, which they did, clearly. And sort of booted from country music in the 80s, Western Swing, sort of, it's almost like these bubbles like forming on country music and just popping off and becoming independent again. They started out sort of independent, all under the country music umbrella. And then they began to separate. Certainly, blues was a bubble just floating outside the country music circle, even though it influenced country music. But it was a little bit interlocked with folk. Certainly, you, you know, you could go to a folk festival and see blues players because certain aspect of blues is considered folk as there's a certain segment of blues that's considered to be commercial, you know. Um, so blues, folk, bluegrass, old time, western swing, and even honky tonk began to be pushed out of country music. And then you got, you know the Bakersfield phenomenon and the, uh, you know, country music itself started to divide up. You had the Nashville crowd, you had Bakersfield and all things California and you had Texas, you know, what was going on in Texas had very little to do with what was going on in Nashville during certain periods of time. At times, certainly they would cross paths and rock, you know, just broke out and became this humongous thing, spawning disco, new wave, punk, rap, urban country. I mean, urban country. It just, the stylistic variations has exploded to the point where it's almost just chaos. If you try to make any sense out of styles anymore, like it's just... You'll find country influences in rap. And today, I could go to a bluegrass, a so-called bluegrass festival and hear new wave influences, you know? And I don't even know what to think of, well, beyond the urban, urban cowboy phase, but into what I call today's country. I was hitting the scan button on my wife's car. FM and it's scanning along and stopping on stations and the little display would say country. I'm like, I'm going to give this a listen because I don't listen to it. I'm like, this ain't country. What? This isn't even, this isn't even close. This is nothing resembling country music. And frankly, I can say that for a lot of so-called bluegrass that I hear. I mean, it's like, I'll run into people. Oh man, I'm really into bluegrass. And yeah, yeah. Tell me, you know, what they, what they call bluegrass is not what I call bluegrass. However, you know, it's just a name. It is just a name. But I, I wish people would be a little more careful in their choice of names. Now, I don't fault the, the new fan who doesn't know the difference between Nickel Creek, Old Crow Medicine Show, Mandolin Orange, and, uh, I don't know, Jimmy Martin and the Sunny Mountain Boys. You know, you know what I mean? Although, Jimmy Martin... He would have considered himself to be country music. So anyway, I guess this is a sign of getting old. You just look back and you go, holy cow, I am so out of touch with what's going on today. <sighs> anyway, I followed all these phases and 
sampled and listened to a lot of music over the years and tried to play some of it. Inevitably, I always seem to go back to bluegrass and, you know, the majority of my bluegrass playing has been on the just left foot firmly in the progressive new grassy type stuff and right foot firmly planted in the old Bill Monroe, Stanley Brothers, Reno and Smiley world, you know, because that was the only way you could be popular, you know, and being young, you know, you kind of went, you, you wanted to have both feet, you know, live in both worlds so that the, you know, you could play to the, to the old timers out there and, and I enjoy that stuff too. I love just to hear, a, you know, just a real straight ahead version of something just sort of like almost true to the original um, not that there is a, you know, you almost can't point to any particular song or album and say that, now that is bluegrass. But there, you know what I'm saying? There is certainly the Bill Monroe with Flatt and Scruggs band is considered one of those classics. However, I think that what is considered traditional bluegrass, like real hardcore traditional bluegrass like if you listen to junior sisk or somebody today not that all of his songs are super traditional but certainly stylistically that's pretty hardcore traditional sound today but that really isn't patterned on that bill monroe and flat and scruggs era band you know 1945 band 40 45 46 it's not it's because bluegrass had not fully crystallized. If, now, if you go to, you know, Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys with um, Jimmy Martin in the band, it's starting to change. I mean, Bill wasn't even chopping off beats, not habitually, you know, during the during the forties. Uh, he, you know, that was still coming around, and you had not yet had. Baker's fiddle, and I'm telling you, to me, Baker made ch changed bluegrass music. It got to be this thing you could just hear Baker fiddling, and anybody who fiddled like Baker playing with a bluegrass band, and it just evoked a feeling of Bill Monroe ness because he got it, and or well, he either he got it or he made it. Certainly, Bill liked it. I'm losing track of what I'm what I'm talking about here, but you know, bluegrass has certainly divided, and you know these bubbles. It's like cell mitosis or cell division. You know, you know it grows a while and then it pops and makes two bubbles, and they're they were closely genetically related, and bluegrass has done that, and will continue to do that, and then sometimes. Two or more of these cells will join together and form new offspring. You know, it's almost like some sort of life process that, you know, can be represented musically. So I'm not against these things. I'm not against the natural, you know, life forces taking place within music. What bugs me is people, how they so loosely use the word bluegrass. You know, but what am I going to do? You know, I'm just one guy. Uh, just, just like how loosely 
country music, that definition has has is now being misused. I mean, come on. What I heard on that radio station, I cannot in any way call country, except that I think I heard a pedal steel, and there was a little of this faked country drawl, and there was always talk of beer and pickup trucks uh, in most of the three or four songs that I stomached before I switched over to something much easier to listen to when I, you know, changed over to the rap station or something. Um, whoa, I am, I just don't, I just don't enjoy that stuff. I don't, I don't even hear anything. Like I used to like that, the, the bass parts where they go boom, 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 boom. One, three, five, three, one, three, five, three. I like that in that four, four thing. And in bluegrass, it'd just be one, five, one, five, one, five. I like that. And some of them bass players, man, they just, they could play that one, three, five, three thing and jumping around chords and walking from, from chord to chord. And it was just perfect. There are plenty of guys that still do that. You'll hear that, hear that a lot in Western swing today. All right. I'm, I am just so rambling. Let me actually turn to my sheet of notes here and let's do the, my current 10 podcast shout outs. First, I just want to, if you go back to episode 75 and look at my list, there are links there to any of these shows. So if one of these shows is of interest to you, I encourage you to listen, dig around. I found most of these on iTunes. Well, the podcast app on my iPod. And, you know, if you if you're online, if your Wi-Fi is on and you're connected and you go to a show and you scroll down a little bit, it'll say you also might like XYZ, you know, this show and this show. And so you click on one of them and it says, oh, you, al- you also might like this. And if you keep doing that, you can end up in some weird places. It's just funny how they they correlate certain shows with other shows. And I suspect it has to do with what you've subscribed to. So if you subscribe to five podcasts, you're sort of like voting for those other four. Like when mine comes up, the Josh Cole bluegrass show might come up as you also might enjoy that. And that's first one, Josh Cole bluegrass show. Love this show. I talked about it last time, so I'm not going to go into great depth about it. It is essentially live performance tapes of bluegrass bands, bluegrass shows. And I will say that the definition of bluegrass is pretty wide. I mean, you're going to have bands that are super trad and you're going to have bands who are, you know, more in the present um, state of bluegrass where I mean, you know, yonder mountain-y kind of stuff. And, and so all that, his umbrella, he's got a big umbrella. And I like that because I like to kind of know what's what's happening. And I do like a lot of that stuff. I really, really do. Some of it, I just kind of like to hear once in a while. I just like to hear it played straight, you know. I don't want the 5,000 variations on Sally Gooden and every instrument plugged in, you know. Sometimes I just want to hear Benny Thomason, you know, or hear uh, put on Frost on the Pumpkin and listen to Baker, 
play, you know. Sometimes I just want it straight up, you know, black coffee. Instead of the latte with the almond flavoring and the cinnamon and the pumpkin spice and, you know, you know, sometimes I like that too, you know. But anyway, listen to the Josh Cole Bluegrass Show podcast. You'll love it. it that's great background music and you can hear stuff you can hear jd crow live shows you can hear uh del mccurry you can hear a lot of these new bands you know at live at festivals and it's it's cool it's a great show i really like what he's doing so they're on my uh josh cole is still on my i'm still listening list so Next, number two, Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. I'm still listening to Picky Fingers. That's Keith Billick over there. Gotta love, gotta love that show. I mean, I, I've, I said it before when I mentioned him before. I thought I had a small niche. You know, people who play bluegrass or might want to. He's just, you know, as I said before, whittled that down to just, just your banjo players. Now, his, uh, his format is primarily an interview format, and that's great because you get to hear some of these banjo players talk about what they do and why they do it and how they learn and all that kind of stuff. And I've, I've done you know a little bit of that on, on this show and may ramp that up again. Um, I'm not going to talk about my future plans for the podcast too much right now. We'll come back to that. But I do have, uh, I'm making a few changes here uh, that will begin to take place in the fall. I'll talk all about that, but I just want to give big shout out number two to Keith Billick. He's putting out a good show, the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. So if you're a banjo picker or want to be or are just curious, you know, you want to hear Alan Mundy talk about, you know, you could be a fiddle player. And these banjo players still could have something of importance for you. Scope out Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Oh, and by the way, you probably know this, but uh, I interviewed Keith on this show, and we put that show up on both shows. So, you know, when I'm plugging Picky Fingers, you may be running along there and, and encounter me on there. That was that one episode. And I appreciate Keith for doing that. I, I think it's good, you know, podcasting is a pretty thankless one-way job you know you just you keep putting stuff out 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 and you don't get a whole lot back you know and that's just the nature of the beast i know that i know it's it's just like broadcasting on a radio station i used to do a radio show in college and i've talked about it in one of the episodes way on back and i would be on the air spinning bluegrass my show was called bluegrass etc because i did play a little dog music and some other stuff three hour show i had a telephone number and i would give it out you know in case somebody wanted to call in with a request or something but the phone never rang and then i would call the dormitory and and we only had back then nobody had phones there was a phone in the lobby it was you know three-story dormitory and there was one phone in the lobby or maybe there was one on each floor. I don't remember. Call the lobby and whoever answered say, hey, uh, can you go get Clinton in room you know, 112? Yeah, hang on. They throw the phone down. 
two minutes later, Clint come. I'm like, hey, can you go in there and turn the radio on and just make sure my show is actually, can you hear it? Is it, am I even on the air? Can you, so Trump, 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 two minutes later, he comes back. Yeah, yeah, you're totally on there. Oh, okay, thanks. So that was my uh, station check, you know. And that's the way podcasting is. You put them out and sometimes you're not sure if you're on the air or not. Um, but you're listening, so I know you're there. Well, I don't know you're there unless you send me an email or something. Anyway, let's get on to uh, number three podcast I'm still listening to. And if you haven't gone to listen to it, you should. It's called Back Porch Bluegrass. Guy down in New Zealand, banjo picker. Been playing bluegrass since the 60s. It apparently is a some sort of radio show, probably on some sort of public radio station down there in New Zealand. That's the impression I get that he's not putting it out just as a podcast, but it's also distributed as a podcast. Great show. Just, just playing, uh, he's just spinning bluegrass records. So you just want to listen to some bluegrass. And those kind of things are cool because you'll hear somebody that you didn't know about or you'd heard of but never heard. Like you've heard of Jimmy Martin. You just hadn't heard Jimmy Martin. Or, you know, newer bands. It's all kind of stuff. It's it's cool show. Back Porch Bluegrass. I recommend that podcast. And also on my still listening, I'm still listening to The String, although... Sometimes I do skip an episode now and then, mostly just when I'm busy. I just too much going on, too many podcasts to listen to. And sometimes here lately, I've sort of been picking and choosing the, the ones that are a little more of interest to me. Although every time I listen to one of them, I'm, I'm impressed with the production quality and it's a good show. It's well done. So the string and same goes for fretboard journal. I still listen to it, although I'm not binge listening um, like I used to. And it's just a matter of time. I'm on the mower more, and I, I can't listen to podcasts on a lawnmower. Um, you know, possibly in the winter I'll do more catching up. But if I spot something of interest, I will listen to them. I do like the fretboard journal, both the magazine and the podcast. So thumbs up for fretboard journal. And their affiliated podcast. I really love this one. I talked about it in a few episodes ago. It's called The Truth About Vintage Amps. And that may seem really strange for a bluegrass guy. Who's, I don't even like to hear a guitar when it's plugged in, generally speaking. Certainly not in bluegrass. You know, I like that more natural playing over a microphone sound. So you might wonder, why in the world would anybody be interested in this? I am. I like fiddling around with electronics, tubes. You know, it goes back to my ham radio days where, you know, a lot of the stuff he's talking about, you know, replacing leaky paper capacitors and, you know, tube, you know, grid voltage and bias and all this kind of stuff. Those are the exact same things that you tinker with when you tinker with amateur radio transmitters and receivers. There's a lot of, you know, shared common ground because we're, 
We're talking about tube technology. And that's what that whole show's about. The guy is fantastic. He's just another great example of it's fun to listen to somebody who whose knowledge, the well of knowledge, goes so insanely deep that the average person can't even fathom it. You know, it's one thing to know a little something about a tube amp. It's a completely other thing to know what he knows about tube amps. And I just find that fascinating. And I bump into people all the time just and get to talking with them about, you know, what do you do? What are you into? You know, just prying into what what their thing is. And you find people that are just like that about all sorts of weirdo subjects. You know, I've used the example of flint napping, you know. You're hard-pressed to find somebody who even knows what flint napping is, much less somebody who's actually tried to do it and who actually knows a lot about it. I'm just fascinated by what motivates people to accumulate such you know, depth of knowledge about a, a certain subject area. And, you know, I guess it just comes down to that's what they like. And one of those things for me is bluegrass. It's just what I like. I can listen to music all day long, which I did yesterday. Fourth of July, my wife and son are out of town. And I decided to pull out some records, and I just started playing records. I started with two Dan Crary records. Listen to all of side one and all of side two, then put on the next one, all of side one, all of side two. I just hadn't been listening much lately. And this is this is going way back, you know, to the 1970s. And I was like, man, this guy, people don't talk about Dan Crary enough. That joker could play a guitar. Oh, my God. Quite different stylistically than Tony Rice and Norman Blake. And a little closer to Doc in some ways. Anyway, I'd pull out a, a record and go, I'm not even certain that I have ever listened to this. Put it on. And here's something that just knocks me out. I mean, just sends chills up my spine. Well, that's that music. That's that stuff that I like. I can't even explain. I'm thinking about the experience right now and having those cold chills. Like when, when you get a haircut and she takes them clippers and is buzzing your neck. You know, that feeling you get down your, ooh, and you get the goosebumps up on your arms. Music, some music does that to me. And just thinking of that experience does it to me. And inevitably, it's always some just kind of killer bluegrass or just the this like incredibly great trio singing or something. It's it's hard to know, but I got a few other weaknesses, which I'll I'll get to as we continue. Okay. So we've done Josh Cole, Picky Fingers, Back Porch, Bluegrass, The String, Fretboard Journal, and Truth About Vintage Amps. I love that one. Check it out. Even if you don't own an amp and never will own an amp, you gotta you got to listen to this guy just to be in amazement of someone who knows so much about such an oddball little corner of the world. Although it does influence huge portions of the music world. Still listening also to contrabass conversations. I don't listen to them all. I, I never have listened to them all. You know, I have picked and choose some of the some of the interviews with 
some of the great bass players and some of the bass players who I didn't know. But, you know, if you want to know anything about a bass, you better listen and hear what Gary Carr has to say and so on and so on. So I still, I sort of monitor it. And when I've got one of those days when there's not much going on, I will listen to the most recent one, just see what's going on. You know, I do like it. It's, it's certainly more classical oriented than, than my world, but I find I learned something from it. New ones uh, that I've been, there was, there's a podcast popped up called Banjo of the Future, Tom Neckville. If you're familiar with Neckville banjos, they've started a podcast I don't know what the status is at this point. They they popped out two episodes, and then I haven't seen anything for a while. So, who knows? Who knows? Hope hope to hear more there. Um, scope out what's there, and if you like what's there, contact them and, you know, prod them a little bit or, you know, say, hey, do some more. It's they, you know, it's it's they're off to a good start. That's that's sort of what I was saying about Picky Fingers on the last time I did this. I said, you know, support the guy. He's he's coming out of the gates and he's done a few episodes. You know, let's hope it continues. And I think same goes here. Um, and my experience with podcasts, especially when they're produced, kind of like homemade podcasts like mine, is that they tend to get better rather than worse because the you get better at producing it. You get better at getting organized. You get, you get over your nervousness of talking on a microphone. You stop working so much from notes and you, you know, it becomes more polished, you might say. And a lot of people, I think I've heard a lot of podcasts. I'd find a podcast and there's only three episodes and then it just stopped in 2010. That was the end of it. And I think they just never got over that hurdle or never got any support. Anyway, hopefully Banjo of the Future will continue. Um, I've been listening some to uh, just one that I bumped into in that, you know, clicking on a podcast and seeing I also might like XYZ. And that is, there's a podcast put out by a guy named Cameron DeWitt called Get Up in the Cool. Get Up in the Cool. And it's an old-time podcast. It's certainly, I would categorize this as old-time music, and there's overlaps between old-time and bluegrass. They are separate and discrete things, yet they they share a little bit of real estate. And I dabble in that, you know. I, I've dabbled in claw hammer banjo and fiddling and stuff. Just never really got into that world in any depth. But he's in it. He's in it, and it's it's an interesting way to do an interview show. Every episode is talking with a guest or or a couple of guests, talking and playing together. So talk a little bit. Let's play a tune. Cameron's playing with whomever. Talk some more. Play another tune. Talk some more. Play another tune. That that's cool. That is cool. Or he has to go and he's got to be in person with these people. It's be impossible to do that over Facebook chat or something. But scope it out, you know, if, if you're into old time and claw hammer and that kind of stuff, in any way, shape, or form, you should be scoping out Get Up in the Cool, because it's pretty cool. Now, 
on to this is my final podcast. And this one I want to put special emphasis on because where I started in this episode talking about the definition of bluegrass and country music and how country music has changed and what is country and what is not country and is bluegrass country and it certainly was. It's not anymore. You will never hear a bluegrass song on a country music station today. Unless it's, you know, like some 10-watt AM station in, you know, somewhere in the outskirts of somewhere out in the middle of Nevada or something. There could be a guy still running a country music show and occasionally spins, uh, you know, a bluegrass song. But pretty much bluegrass has been evicted from the country music world. And I think that's good. That's good for bluegrass. Bluegrass can do its own thing now. But I go way back to some of the first music that I heard around the house were some country music records. Back in those days, like when I was a kid in the 60s, if you listen to a standard AM radio station, let's say you're in Atlanta, as we were around the Atlanta area, WSB, 750 AM, you know, big clear channel AM station. And they would do the news and the traffic, but they played music too. And they played every kind of music. You know, it was, you'd hear, you know, the Purple People Eater, and then you might hear um, a Hank Williams song. It was just all crazy mixed up. It was they, they just played music. And then the stations began to subdivide and divide and divide and divide into, you know, where you didn't play country. In, in fact, most of those stations just turned into talk radio stations where you didn't hear any music at all. You know? But I, I could remember hearing stuff and, you know, hear a, a Roger Miller song just on the AM radio station because it was a hit, you know, and it'd be followed up by Bing Crosby or Doris Day or something, you know, or, or some, some sort of, I, you know what I mean? It was just all mixed up. They just played, you know, played the hits. It just doesn't happen anymore. Anyway, so I was exposed to these things. My father, I've talked about him in one of the early podcasts. He was not into music at all. He just didn't have a musical bone in his body, but he did one time off of the television he called some, you know, an 800 number or something, watching Channel 17, and he ordered a two-record album of Hank Williams. It's pretty much everything Hank Williams ever recorded on this two-record set. He bought it. He played it maybe once. Well, I played that thing a lot, and I, I used to listen to those Hank Williams things. And then I, as I got into bluegrass, yeah, this was back when I was in the seventh grade. You know, I hadn't even, I didn't have, a, I wasn't picking yet. I didn't get to pick until I was about 14, 15, 16. And I'd run into Bill Monroe and he's doing I Saw the Light. And I'm like, I, I remember that. That's Hank Williams' song. But I always sort of liked that, that, that sound of that steel and occasionally the fiddle. And there were a couple of tunes on those old Hank Williams records that were that would have a mandolin. I didn't even know what a mandolin was when I was hearing them originally. Anyway, I still have those records. And I still occasionally will uh, just, you know, 
pour me up a shot glass of George Dickel and put on one of those Hank records and just sit there and enjoy both of them. You know, I do like the kind of honky tonk thing. And then, so I get into, when I get into bluegrass, I got totally wound up, just wrapped up, eaten up with bluegrass, bluegrass, bluegrass. And I kind of let that country thing drop. But then as I got into bands and I'm wanting to get gigs, well, out come the urban cowboy thing and all the clubs, you know, around Atlanta had gone country. And, you know, if you could play country music, you might get a gig. And they would tolerate you playing Foggy Mountain Breakdown or something, you know. In other words, there were there were some bands around Atlanta who were primarily country bands, and they were playing top 40 country covers. You know, Mickey Gilly songs, stuff like that. Merle Haggard. Things of that nature, Waylon and Willie. But many times they'd, there'd be a guy in the band that sort of played everything. He played fiddle or he played steel, but he was also a banjo player. And these guys oftentimes were really bluegrass pickers. But they were just trying to get work and they also played country music. Um, Skid Row was a good example of that. Go see. Skid Billadoo, uh, playing with, uh, who, who did he play with? Several people. Real People was one in particular. And Rosebud and bands like that. They were playing country, and they were getting the gigs, playing the six-night-a-week gigs. But a lot of times there was a couple of, you know, old bluegrassers in there among them, people like Buck Peacock. And... So I thought, well, this is what I need to do because I'm never going to get a gig playing bluegrass except for the occasional festival. So I began to take up, try to learn to play electric guitar and try to learn to play some of these songs on banjo. And I also got me a pedal steel. I got a, an Emmons single neck four pedal steel. And I'm trying to learn to play steel. And I was doing it some with a band called the Rex Mill Ramblers which I think I talked about all this before. I'm not going through the whole why I quit country music thing other than to say a drunk truck driver backing up dumped a pitcher of beer on me and my steel and my Fender Twin Reverb amp and just soaked me right in the middle of a song. And I, I got up, got a towel, wiped it all down, took that thing apart. I was on a Friday night, Saturday morning. I had to teach banjo lessons at Terra Music. I walked in there lugging all that gear, and I gave it to the guys that sell this crap. I'm done with country music. But really, I would, in hindsight, I wish I'd never sold that steel. And Jackson and I were running around um, a couple weeks ago and came into a music store, and there is essentially that same steel sitting there. I'm like, how much you want for that thing? You know, it's too much. He wanted way too much for it. Anyway... So I'd be moan. That's one thing I wish I hadn't got rid of because I do love a steel. I love a lap steel. I love that straight steel guitar, and I love a pedal steel. I do love it. So this brings me, now that you know my little backstory, I'm not really a country musician, but I do have a, have a soft spot in my heart for good honky-tonk and western swing. I do love it. I just like it. There's a podcast that I ran across 
and I'm hooked. I listen to it, and this is my kind of country music. I would say that his definition of the country music that he plays on there would be like, I have a book called Who's Who in Country Music 1966. Bought it at Goodwill. And it's like a directory of all the radio DJs, all the agents, all the acts. And it's just page after page after page of full-page ads by the artists. So you can see what George Jones looked like in 1966. And Porter Wagoner and Bill Monroe's got his his place in there. And anybody who's anybody in country music in 1966. That book is pretty much playlist for this podcast. The name of this podcast is called If That Ain't Country. Now that title, If That Ain't Country, will ring a bell in your mind because in your mind you naturally finish that phrase. You complete the sentence in your own mind. If That Ain't Country. I love this show. But when I played the first one, you know, the impression I got was, if that ain't country, this must be real country music. Not this stuff they they pass off as country today. This must be the real thing. So I download an episode and I listen to it. And by God, it is country. It's probably more country than you might even be expecting. But basically, uh, the, the host of the show is a guy named Western Red. And this floored me because I'm expecting some guy with either Tennessee or a Texas drawl or something to be the host. And I hear this Australian accent. Australia? What in the world? And I'm thinking, is this show coming out of Australia? Sure enough, you just got to go listen and that... It's this strange juxtaposition of the host, his voice and his accent with the music. It almost doesn't make any sense. Well, it doesn't. And that's, that's part of the fast. That was part of my fascination. But you, if you're into traditional country music, Western swing and bluegrass, you're going to get your fill of it. If you listen to Western red and if that ain't country, because it's some good stuff. However, I'm only going to give one suggestion, and this is just a personal wish. Play more bluegrass. Red, toss in a little more bluegrass. Just a little, a little more. He does play some bluegrass. And he talks a lot about the backstory of various songs. He'll have themes, like he'll... He'll center on one particular album and he'll talk about the story behind that album and he'll keep playing cuts off of that particular album. So it kind of creates a thread. He's also got a couple little features in the show like The Shot of Steel. He'll have one song that's particularly going to highlight some great steel playing and it could be in the Western Swing thing, could be the Nashville-y type you know, Buddy Emmons type stuff. He'll have you, you'll have your shot of steel. He's going to play some Western swing. He also, I can't remember what he calls this, but in case you don't know it, country music is, is, and has been 
fairly popular in Australia. And he'll have his, I forget what he calls it. You'll have to listen to the show to know what he calls that segment. But he'll play some Australian country music. It's just a little of it. It's, it's you know, if that's not your bag, you know, it's, it's just going to be a song or two. Same goes for bluegrass. I'm sure there are people listening to that that don't really, bluegrass isn't their thing. And you're never going to overdose on anything on If That Ain't Country. The only thing that you will be guaranteed is it's all country and it ain't that fake stuff it's the real deal so i encourage you to listen to if that ain't country it's three hours of bliss to me so much so that you know how i'm always asking you to support my show you know download the little uh, grass talk radio supporter thing become a patron and by the way thank you patrons I've talked about that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on patron talk today. Or go over to my my store, pick up some instructional material, or just whatever. I'm always saying that. And you know what? I thought, Brad Laird, put your money where your mouth is. You're always saying that. How often do you do that? So I got on PayPal, and I sent a donation to If That Ain't Country. I, I had, it was funny, I had received... A $15 donation from somebody. Like, thanks, love the show, blah, 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 blah. Here's a donation of $15. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to send that 15 to Western Red. And I did. And he sent me back a bumper sticker and an If That Ain't Country koozie. And thank you, Red. I do appreciate it. It's a great show. And you will hear a little dose of bluegrass. But if you support him and you send him five bucks or something, um, just put a little note in there. Say, Hey, red, spin a couple more bluegrass tunes. <laughs> we bluegrassers would appreciate it. So anyway, that's pretty much it. The last thing I want to say is I want to, in particular, say thank you to Ed Davis. Ed's an old friend of mine. And this past Tuesday, I was taking my wife up, wife and son up to Atlanta to drop her off at the airport. So they're going to fly to New York and see some relatives and, and so on. And I'm staying down here, take care of the critters and that kind of thing. Dropped them off at the airport. And I thought, well, I'm going to swing by my old pal, Buddy Ashmore's house. And there's an episode where I interview Buddy Ashmore. If, if you want to re-familiarize yourself with that nutcase, he's a bluegrasser. Swing by to see Buddy. Well, between the time I call him and the time I arrive, he has also called Ed Davis, who's a bass player and a banjo player and plays all kinds of stuff. A band director, head of the Georgia Music Educators Association. He's just got a resume musically a mile long, but Ed Davis and I go way back to the 70s, and same with Buddy. And he had also called Mike Estes. Well, I get over there, and he's like, Hop in the truck. We're going to ride over and see Ed for a little bit. We get over to Ed's. Well, let's all hop in the truck and let's go see Mike, Mike Estes, fiddle player. And we jammed for about three hours over at Mike's. And at one point during the uh, during the jam session, and I had just tossed my dobro in the in the in the car. I didn't even bring a mandolin. So Ed's on bass. Mike's on fiddle, I'm on dobro, and Buddy's on guitar. And we're just jamming, 
having a good old time catching up. And one of them, I can't remember if it was Ed or Mike, said, you know what? It just occurred to me that this is four of the five members of Pony Express from 1982. I was like, you're right. I, I didn't think about that. Because we had five members. We had a banjo player named Banjo Graves. That was the Pony Express version that ran from 81 to 83. And sure enough, there we are, 38 years later, sitting in the same room picking. And that brings up my final point. Bluegrass is about more than about music and personal satisfaction and, you know, personal development, musical development. And it's even more than entertainment. Those things are all important to bluegrass. But it's also about friendships. When you can sit down 38 years later and be picking for three hours, and then it occurred to you that this is like a Pony Express reunion. If we only had banjo here, we'd have the whole dadgum thing. That's what bluegrass can do. And I don't know that every kind of music, I, I suppose it is possible. I, I don't know because I don't hang around in those other musical circles. I suppose deep, lasting, lifelong friendships do occur. But because of the nature of bluegrass where you can just pull them out and play, these sorts of things can happen very easily. You can pick with the same people 38 years later. And we had a great old time. In fact, I might. They're planning another jam next week, bringing a few other old old friends together. I may go up and have a little repeat jam before um, Darlene and Jackson return from New York. Anyway, hope you guys enjoyed the podcast and scope out these podcasts that are on my son of podcast shout outs list and y'all take it easy i'll talk to you in the next episode dad gummit i have done it again i hit the stop button and then i remember the thing i was gonna say i get to rambling around so much I apologize for that. I was leading up to thanking Ed Davis, and I got to talking about how people, you know, who come and donate and do this and that. Then I got to talking about the jam session. I forgot to actually thank Ed Davis. And so Ed, at the jam, he just walks up to me and hands me a little folded up piece of paper. says, here. And I unfold it, and it's a check made out to me i'm like what he's like i just want to do a little something to help you out with your podcast i'm like ed thanks thank you that's a first that is the first time someone has personally walked up to me and handed me a check to uh donate to the podcast but hey thanks eddie high note i do appreciate you brother i especially do appreciate that and i will put that those funds to very good use in promoting bluegrass. All right. Thanks a bunch for listening, y'all. This time I'm really gone.